Have you ever had a mountaintop experience? We use the phrase pretty commonly to speak of a spiritual high, a time of clarity when our connection with God feels direct and our life feels full of meaning. And from Machu Picchu in Peru to Mount Fuji in Japan to Mount Olympus in Greece, Mountains in cultures all around the world are places of spiritual power. There are lots of mountains with special significance in the biblical story. There's Mount Sinai, where Moses speaks face to face with God and receives the Ten Commandments. There's Mount Zion, which according to tradition was the hill where Abraham received the revelation that he was not to sacrifice his son and which centuries later became the hill site of the city of Jerusalem and of the Holy Temple. And of course, there's the unnamed mountain in today's gospel, the mountain of transfiguration. We read this story each year from one of the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, on the last Sunday before Lent. This is the culmination of the season after Epiphany which is all about the revelation of Jesus' glory in the world. From the star that first led the Magi to the Christ child, to the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus at his baptism, to his first miracle at a wedding in Cana, and on through the stories of his calling his first followers and doing his early healings and preaching. The season after Epiphany is like one big coming out party for Jesus, as the hymn says, God in man, made manifest. So on this last of the Sundays after Epiphany, the manifestation becomes more spectacular than ever. And it's what you might think of as a classic mountaintop experience. Jesus' three closest disciples get to witness him shining through with the glory of God, his face shining with radiance just as Moses did so many centuries before at Sinai. And Moses himself is here as if to prove the point together with Elijah, the other greatest prophet from ancient Israel. And finally, as if that wasn't enough, the voice of God is heard. Glory. Hallelujah. And the thing about mountaintop experiences is that they can be habit-forming. You can ask any youth minister or church camp director And they'll tell you how common it is to have people go away on a retreat or spiritual weekend of some kind and have a life-changing experience, only to end up stuck in a cycle of trying to repeat that experience over and over. It never quite recaptures the incredible feeling of the first time. It's hard to come down from the mountain. And maybe that's why Peter makes his strange, awkward suggestion about building some dwelling places, as if to say, let's set up camp and stay. (laughs) Up here where the glory is clear and God's voice is audible and we are free from the messy entanglements of the world below. It seems Jesus pretty much ignores his suggestion. And in the very next passage, they do go back down the mountain and we see Jesus again enmeshed in healing, freeing a young child who's possessed. And just a few verses later, Luke will tell us that Jesus now sets his face to go to Jerusalem. Sets his face to go to Jerusalem. And that is a moment of transition in the narrative of Luke's gospel because it means the coming out party is over. 
and the path towards the cross begins. But we miss the point of the transfiguration, I think, if we think of it as just a beautiful moment or a kind of respite before the hard part happens, a kind of escape from the world. When Jesus gets to go off and socialize with the greats of the past and the disciples are treated to a vision of loveliness that will hopefully sustain them all through the hard journey ahead. Because thinking of it that way breaks the connection between the transfiguration and the cross. There's the closest possible connection between the mountain of glory and the hill of crucifixion. Jesus was crucified, the scriptures tell us, on a hill, not a mountain, but a hill, a place called Skull Hill or Golgotha. And tradition has it that it was a small rocky outcropping, maybe part of a disused quarry, just outside the city gates of Jerusalem to the west, in a good place for people to see it who were traveling to the western gates. And so if you were a Roman government official who wanted to make a cruel but effective point, it was a good place for a public execution. And on that sad, rocky little hill of execution, Jesus' mission of love and liberation took him straight into a collision course with human power. What happened on that rock was a sad little scene of casual brutality designed to impress passersby with the danger of crossing the authorities. It certainly didn't look particularly glorious. If you were looking for a mountaintop experience, the cross is about the last place you would look. And yet, through the eyes of faith, this was the pivotal moment where God was working unseen and unknown through Jesus to conquer evil and win a victory over death itself. So in one sense, the crucifixion and transfiguration are about as far apart as two scenes can get, and yet in another, they are intimately connected. At the transfiguration, we see the glory visibly that is invisible at Golgotha. You might say the transfiguration is something like a transparent overlay that God gives us to lay over that other scene, the scene of the cross. Instead of this mountain of glory, that rocky little hill. Instead of Moses and Elijah at Jesus' sides, two ordinary thieves. Instead of garments transfigured and glowing with radiance, we see Jesus stripped naked in humility. And yet, through the lens or through the overlay of the transfiguration, we might be enabled to see the glory in the cross that was there all along. Here in the waning moments of epiphany, we get a glimpse of the glory that we can see in the cross only if we have eyes to see past appearances into the truth of God's plan. So the transfiguration trains us. It trains our eyes to see God's glory in other places where we might not expect to see it. At the cross, and also in other places, wherever Jesus' love and liberation are at work. It was happening this week in flood evacuation centers. It might be happening right now at a homeless shelter or in a hospital room. It might happen this week at your breakfast table or in your workplace. The more ordinary, the better. Because it turns out it doesn't take a mountaintop to glimpse the glory of God. It just takes the eyes of faith. 
May the glimpse of beauty we've received today train us to see that glory where we least expect it, today and through Lent and beyond.